Hi, everybody. Good morning again. I'm Dave, one of the elders here at the church, also uh, on the teaching team. So happy to be with you this morning. And closing out the series, This is Love. Love, you know, we call it This is Love. What is love exactly? You know, this series started at Easter, and it was the importance went back to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as the embodiment of God's love for us. And as we bring this series to, the clo- to a close this morning, uh, I thought it would be helpful to take some time to make sure that we defined love. Because love can mean different things to different people, right? So I know oftentimes we tell you to, especially when you go into a, a movie theater or church, silence your phones, <laughs> Right? Today, though, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to ask for some audience participation, so please take out your phones today. (laughs) And I want you to go to a website called menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com, okay? And when you get to menti.com, it's going to ask you for a code, and you're going to punch in a six-digit code, all right? Can we get the code up there? If not, here it is. If you're there, the code is 386787. 386787. What I want you to do this morning is go on your phones, and they're gonna give, there's, there's going to be five areas that you're going to put in there a word that defines love. And as you do that in real time, you know, you'll, we'll get to put up here a word cloud, and you get to see what all of you are saying in terms of what love is. All right, so can we do that now? Let's open it up. And as you do that, uh, this will come up. Uh, and the, the people who, if that word is used more often than others, it'll be bigger than, than, uh, uh, than what's the other words that are there. So here's some of the words that people are putting up, right? Jesus, sacrifice, unconditional, God, These look like, like you guys are Christians or something, you know? <laughs> right? Amy. Good job, Barry. Scoring points, huh? <laughs> Scoring points, Barry. You smart guy, you. <laughs> yeah, sacrifice. That's a, that's a, that's, what that's saying is most of you who are responding to this are saying sacrifice. That's how we're defining love as a group here this morning. Cool. Awesome. I'm up there too? (laughs) Thanks, Josh. No, no. Um, How's Micah? Five dollars buys you a lot, you know? Yeah. I can resonate with a lot of these words, you guys. Um, But you see... There's many different ways to define love. And the point of this this morning, and we'll do this again at the end, is that when we say Jesus loves you, it can mean different people, different things to different people. For some, it could mean sacrifice. For some, it could mean kindness. For some, it could mean unconditional or forgiveness. 
See, I think in the English language, one of the challenges we have is that our words depend on context for meaning. When I say stuff like, I love UH football, it's not the same kind of love as saying, I love my wife, Tammy. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh. How come you can only sneeze once, right? Let's see. Um, so in this series, This is Love, what we're going to talk about this morning as we close out this series is, what love are we talking about? What kind of love does Jesus demonstrate when he was crucified and resurrection as we celebrate every Easter? And we'll start with this, is for many of you might know this, that the Greeks had different words for love. They didn't require the context to understand what love they were talking about. In in fact, there were at least four words that they used for love. And one of the words that they use is phileo. Now, phileo is a, a word that the Greeks use that is like a friendship type of love. Sometimes people translate it as a brotherly type of love. So it doesn't surprise you, or shouldn't surprise you, that our city, Philadelphia, its root word for the city's name is phileo. And that's also, shouldn't surprise you, why we call the Philadelphia, what? The city of brotherly love. Phileo is an emotional love between people. It's a, a, a genuine sort of liking between people. It's, it's, you know, hey, we're good friends, and I love my friend. Biblically, uh, we see examples of this. In, in, in John chapter 5, verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. This love is the Father phileos the Son. Meaning there's a really close relationship with Father and Son. In John chapter 11, verse 3, it says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And what this was referring to is the sisters, Martha and Mary, referred to their brother Lazarus, at, to Jesus as the one you love. So Jesus, when, she, when they sent the message to Jesus that says, Lazarus is sick, they're saying, hey, you know, the one you love is sick. And, and Jesus knows who they're talking about because this is like my good friend Lazarus. So we know from the word that they use, the the one you love is sick, that you know that Jesus and Lazarus had this really close friendship. And in John chapter 20, uh, verse 2, it says, so she came running, this is Mary, came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And, And what I like about this is throughout the Bible, you'll see they refer to this one disciple as the one Jesus loved, and they're referring to John. And what it refers, and what it tells us is that the disciple John and Jesus also had a great friendship, a brotherly love for each other. So phileo, then, you folks, is, is what the Greeks use as uh, a brotherly love. It's standing, it stems from an emotional liking of each other, okay? So that's one type. Another word for love they had is a word called storge. And this love is like a, uh, a family love uh, of natural belongingness. I, I think that's the way it's kind of defined. It's hard to define these in English, as you can tell, right? 
But it's, it's like a, a natural affection or devotion to one another, kind of like a parent and a child, right? A love for your family. Now, in, in the Bible, storge is not used very often, but it is found in a compound word. Uh, I wish I could just read the Greek in the original Bible in Greek. But uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it, it says this, and it, it talks about it as a compound uh, word for love. And it says, be devoted to one another in love. The, the compound is with the, this notion of devotion in the love. It's a, it's a family kind of love. And this is a distinct difference from phileo. Phileo is like, a, I like this person. It's a brotherly love. Storge is kind of like, uh, it's more like a commitment. So, you know, for example, um, you might have family members that uh, you love them because they're family, but you may not like them as much. I mean, they're not people you'd necessarily hang out with. Let's put it that way. You know what I'm talking about, right? This, <laughs> so there's, there's some people, Michael has no idea what I'm talking about. He's like, I love all my family. I phileo all of them. <laughs> Liar. No, 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 no. No, no. So, no, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you love them because they're blood. They're family, right? That's, that's what storge is. The Greeks also had another word for love, but it's actually not used in the Bible, and it was eros. And this is erotic love. This is the kind of love that is based on passion, self-satisfaction. Uh, it's a conditional kind of love, right? It, it, it's a love that is based on, um, I love you because you give me this thing, right? You make me happy. I don't know if you heard the term say, you complete me. Right? That's what this is, or eros. It's a kind of quid pro quo kind of love based on some characteristic in another person, right? whether it's physical or otherwise. Right? The thing about eros is that if that characteristic starts to change or it, it, it misses, it's no longer there, what starts to happen is the source of your love also goes away and in fact your love may cease entirely when, when Tammy and I my wife Tammy and I used to teach a premarital course to Christians and non-Christians uh, couples um, we made a clear distinction between eros and love that is forever because whatever that attracted you to your fiance we would tell the couples is all well and good right but it cannot be, it should not be the basis upon which you get married. So you would hear this, right? Like, oh, I just, I get lost in his eyes, <laughs> you know? I love her beautiful smile, right? His funny personality, right? Or her, her cute mannerisms. I love that, right? These are comments based on Eros. However, marriage is forever and eros is not. To build a foundation on forever, you need to build on love that is forever. And the reality is, as humans, your physical characteristics change. <laughs> and our personality, in fact, is susceptible to changing as well. So sorry, guys, you know. For a lot of us, uh, like Barry, think that we're still 21-year-old studs in our head, right? <laughs> Sonny laughed pretty hard on that one, but no. 
but we, we, we we're always brought back to earth when it's a cold morning after we did something very physical the day before and the body is a little bit creaky, right? Like, oh, where is that, right? The bounce back is counted in days, not hours, you know, when you get older. Several years ago, uh, I was volunteering at the alumni booth at a carnival for my high school. And I showed up, and there was this uh, girl in our booth. She was hanging out with some, some friends. And um, she, I go, what grade is she? She was ninth grade. I'm like, oh, ninth grade, right? Um, and then I asked her a question that no one my age should ever ask. <laughs> or I asked her two questions. One was, um, what year were you born? And she was born after I graduated high school. <laughs> right? The second question I asked, which was, which was totally I should not have asked this question, was like, I said, so, hey, uh, do you see us as like kind of still young guys, you know, hip? Or are we kind of like old futs, you know? And in her brutal honesty, she goes, yeah, you guys are old. I'm like, oh. And it was like a dagger in my heart to roars of laughter in the booth that day. But my point is, not to mourn our passing of our youth, okay? Um, But to impress upon us that our physical characteristics, right? No matter what 21-year-old vision is still in my head of what I look like and what I think I'm like, we change over time. It's fleeting, right? Even our personalities, you've heard the term, oh, the grumpy old man. I don't think the grumpy old man was always grumpy, right? When, with Eros, if you base your love on someone's characteristics, be they physically or some other thing, it is fleeting. It is not forever. And I spent so much time this morning on Eros, actually, even though it's not in the Bible, because I actually think our society is shifting our focus to Eros. It's more and more I see it's what I want, what satisfies me, what I think I need. It's about self first. We, we hear this in phrases, right? The greatest love of all, make no apology, has become the love of self. And sadly, I think confusing Eros as the reason for getting married is why so many marriages actually end in divorce. When a couple gets married and they're infatuated with Eros for each other, by definition, it's a quid pro quo. We're in this marriage contractually as long as you continue to make me happy. You put in 50%, I put in 50%, we're good. And when that breaks down, uh-oh. It's a love that is contingent on this exchange continually, like a contract. And when one person stops giving what is expected, then the love ends there and the marriage is pretty much moribund at that point. But the exact opposite of Eros the noblest or highest form of love that the Greeks shared is agape. Agape is God's love. Agape is a love that is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's a love that's expressed in action rather than feelings or emotion. 
It's completely other-focused. In fact, it was said that, that the word agape was rarely, if ever, used outside of the context of the Bible. Because it is God's love. I really like what one author had said, is that agape endures even though the recipient is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, or unworthy. And we see this type of love used in the following verses. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies. Agape your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, because if you just read this verse in English, and we don't have the word like agape in English, at face value, you're going to be, love my enemies? Like, I'm supposed to lo- like those people? I don't like them at all. The word for love used here that the Greeks place is agape. Agape your enemies, regardless of any emotion or feeling. It's really based on obedience and self-sacrifice to another. Again, in Exodus chapter 23, verses 4 4 to 5, it says, If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. Right? What's the feeling tell you? Oh, yeah, let it go, you know? My enemy's ox or donkey, let it go. But it says, no, return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. So we see here in Matthew and in Exodus an illustration of agape in practice. It is a love that is, requires action. If you see your enemy's donkey about to become lost or even it's going to be you know, weighted down, we're, we're, we're actually called out of a sense of doing the right thing out of concern for someone else. And this is hard stuff. It's practically impossible to practice agape on our own strength. And this is why the source of agape is associated with God. For only God can have the capacity of sacrificial love for another in its purest form. Jesus illustrated agape for his disciples when he said to them to wash their feet. In John chapter 13, verse 14, it says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So recall that, you know, washing someone's feet is pretty dirty business, right? And feet, the feet washer is clearly in a very unenviable role in, in, in washing the dirtiest part of someone's body. It's kind of like yuck, right? And yet Jesus makes a point to say to do exactly that as an act of agape. It's an investment in yourself, of yourself on behalf of another person. And this is about how unique, it, when you think about it, it's, how, it's very unique and profound. And the ultimate and most famous, I would say, Bible verse of them all is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. Followed by John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The most profound act of agape, to give one's life for another, is demonstrated in the crucifixion of Jesus. This love, agape, is at the core of what I believe makes Christianity so unique and so different from many other religions of the world. See, when you really dive deep into it, Jesus is the embodiment of agape. His story is the embodiment of agape, God's unconditional, sacrificial love for us. And you're not going to find that in Buddhism or Hinduism or Taoism or Shintoism. I've personally actually found that many of the religions that I've looked at are about self-development. They're about wishing for a blessing from, from something or for something that we want. In other words, a lot of what I read outside of what the Bible says is around self-actualization or self-fulfillment. Whereas what Jesus is talking about and what he represents is an unconditional, sacrificial love. See, for many of religions, I think the premise is that there's this higher level of existence or presence in which we need to attain. For others, it's, there are, they're multi or polytheistic. There are many different gods. And you pray to a god based on something like war or love or farming or, or the ocean. And the classic example of this polytheistic view would be what the Greeks and Romans had. They had a god that had a, a particular skill, power, kind of like a classic version of the Avengers before there was Marvel, right? And even for atheists, and I was there at one point in time in my life, I believe that even atheism promotes one thing at its core, and that's the individual. See, you might call the love that emanates from atheists as eros, because it's a love that's based only on what you believe and your ability to comprehend what's true. But know this as Christ followers, you're different. We are different. And the world, the Bible says, will hate you. Why? Because you're countercultural. You're someone as a Christian who obeys God not from what you think is best for yourself, but what God thinks is best. We obey God because He's just God. And He loves us exactly the way we are. We don't and we can't even earn God's love. He just loves us right now, no more, no less, regardless of our deeds. See, in God's very nature is agape. It's an unconditional love that expresses itself in action. There's no quid pro quo. There's no, I need to do X, Y, Z in order to be part of the Christianity club. It's actually quite the opposite. None of us can earn our way to the Father's love. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace 
you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not your works that gives you salvation, that earns you God's love. So when you go back to Easter and what it means in light of our understanding of what Easter is all about, you can go back to 1 John 3.16 and says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. At KCF, we have this saying, love God, love others. Or we say, do small things with great love. The love that we're talking about in that is agape. When we agape God, we love God with everything we got. Even when we might question why our, our prayers are going unanswered. Even when we go like, why do these bad things happen? God, where are you? We still agape God. When we agape our neighbors, we do it because Christ loves us in the same way. And being Christ-like and following Christ necessarily means to practice agape. So remember, unlike phileo or storge or eros, this has absolutely nothing to do with our emotions and our feelings. It has everything to do with sacrifice and being other-focused. It challenges, challenges each of us, quite frankly, to think outside ourselves. To think about the people we interact with every single day. The people we might serendipitously bump into every day. How do we agape them? To unconditionally love people even when they don't or aren't able to reciprocate that love. What's the implication then of agape? I was as I was preparing for this message, you guys, I, something had occurred to me with such clarity that had never occurred to me before. And it was this. We're afraid of evangelism because we don't understand agape. Maybe the word isn't afraid, okay? Maybe, maybe I'm trying to describe it, but I think maybe evangelism comes with a lot of stigma because of the sins of humans, right? Tele-evangelism has been fraught with a lot of hypocrisy and, and, and a lot of, quite frankly, unchristlike behavior, as we all know. And evangelism has been associated with televangelism, and quite frankly, maybe the word is uji. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. It's just evangelism. If I say, we've got to evangelize, you're like, ooh. Yeah, I don't want to be that Bible-thumping person going, you know, like, hey, you got to believe in Jesus. You know, I walk on Fort Street Mall. I see the guy. But in light of agape that we now understand, I think we can better appreciate what Jesus tells us in the greatest commandment 
in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, right? Love, so agape, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love or agape your neighbor as yourself. When we agape God and agape others, the experience that the receiver of our love will have is unique. And then it can only come from God. Because agape is God's love. It's sacrificial. It's an other type of love. So if you want to evangelize someone, you want to introduce someone to God, rather than then pressure them with like scripture and Jesus says this, I would say, just start with agape them. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying scripture isn't important or that we, we should not teach people what Jesus says. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is how you start to introduce someone to Jesus and to God is by the character trait that is unique to him. That's agape. When you love someone unconditionally, sacrificially, without judgment, when you're simply letting them know that, look, I just want God's best for your life, you're practicing agape. You're introducing them to God. And that, you guys, was my aha moment. I've, I've known this for a while. I've seen it for a while. I've read it. But it was the simple truth that to practice agape would change the way I viewed evangelism. So going back to the meaning of Easter and how crucially important it is to know and experience how big a deal it is for Jesus, who was completely sinless, to sacrifice himself, to die on the cross out of agape for us and how great our God is because of that. Knowing that, the best thing we can do to introduce people to Christ then, I believe, is just to agape them. Because when they experience God's love that's so unique, it, won't, it can't help but point them to the source of that love, which is Jesus. And then I think we would have done our job. Last week, Saturday, many of you may have known, we held a visioning se- session at SALT. SALT is uh, this, uh, I, w- I would call it like a, like a shopping center gathering place in Kaka'ako. And we met there, we had a visioning session because we're going to move our church office to SALT. But it's much more than a church office. It's going to be a gathering spot, a little bit like part coffee shop, part co-working space. Just basically a place where the people attend church or not will come to hang out, to build relationship, maybe play some board games together. Some of the things we heard, people want to play board games together, collaborate on projects. They might meet as a life group there and a host of other uses we don't even know yet. But it was during this process that I want to tell you that Pastor Mark heard something from the Lord and he pulled me aside and he challenged me 
with this. And he shared with me something he had written in his journal. And this was a word from the Lord. And he told me, Dave, I, you know, I just think I need to share this with you. And, he, and it was like this. He says, here's the key. And this is what he wrote that, from the Lord. He says, here's the key. Build a place where I will be glorified. That is the key. Think of me first. When people come in, they must see me, sense my presence. Will this be a place primarily for people to gather or a place where I am and they will find me? Make me your focus, your highest intention. Then I will lead and guide you. Then it will be a place where people will come and gather and they will find me. Seek me first. Remember your focus, me and my glory. And when Mark shared this with me, of course, my first question was, how? How? And Mark's like, I don't know. But as I was telling Mark and preparing for this message, I said, you know what? I have a sense the first part of answering the how is agape. When we create this new office and gathering place in salt, it needs to reflect agape. We will be successful when everyone who's there, whether they attend church or not, will feel agape in that place. Because agape can only come from God. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. And when they feel that, all the arrows will point back to Christ Jesus. Can it be that simple? I don't know. Maybe it might be. But it reminded me, and I've shared this before, I had a dream over 25 years ago when I was still an agnostic. And in that dream, I felt a love and a warmth that I had never felt in my entire life. And I never questioned who it was in my dream. My soul just knew it was God. And I remember back that when I was in college and, and, a, and a Christian friend of mine took me to a Christian conference at Occidental College and I was there debating the Christians that day. I don't even remember what the topic was, to be honest. But what I do remember was my, friend's, my friend Derek's prayer for me. And at the end of the conference, we were in a small group, and Derek just prayed something like this. He's like, Lord, thank you for David's questions. I pray that you would reveal yourself to him and give him the answers he seeks. See, Derek wasn't trying to convert me. He wasn't judging me. He wasn't trying to debate me to truth. Derek was just agaping me. And that is what I am forever grateful. That that day God used Derek to just allow me to experience his love, his agape love. And I think that's the same thing we're also being called to do for others this morning. Live Agape. Agape God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and agape your neighbor as yourself. Do this in obedience to the Lord your God. Do this and watch God transform our world. Go back to menti.com and we'll do it again. 
type in the words that define love for you. Code is 386787. 386787. Menti.com. You see how the changes. Little different. Little different. Do you know what? Friends, this is love. Agape. Unconditional love. It is all of that. An everlasting, a sacrificial, a selfless love that only comes from God. Would you stand with me as we close today in prayer? I believe that this is an important season for us. Salt and Light, under the leadership of Pastor Max, is planting a brand new part of the body of Christ. It's extremely exciting what God is doing there. God is also calling KCF into what we're calling 2.0 a new season. And in both of those, what I think the thread that that links them all together is we're going to be practicing agape like never before. A love of action. It's it's action-based. It's sacrificial. It would have been so much easier and so much more comfortable for us to just be like, you know what, this is pretty good. This is pretty comfortable. We kind of like each other. There's a lot of phileo going around. You know, I like Max. I like seeing him. But there will be a time when Max and the 25 or so other people that are going to go with Max to plant a church, it's going to feel a sense of loss. But we do it because it is out of obedience to God. And we're going to go agape people. And they're going to feel God's presence and power because of that. The Bible tells us that they will know the Lord by our love for each other. That's what we're shooting for. That's what I look forward to. This is love. You bow your hands with me. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we we agape you, Lord. We agape you. We thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it challenges us, that we need to put you first. It's about you, Lord, and your glory first. And may we just bring a smile to your face in however small way this morning, if we can just think of others, think outside of ourselves, Lord. And what would mean to just unconditionally love, sacrificially love. And I, my prayer, my heart is that when we do that, the people who feel that agape love 
that receive that agape love from each of us, that they would just be so blown away by how different that is, how unique that is, that it's going to resonate in their soul. And their soul is going to look for you. And they will find you because you are the source of agape. So we thank you this morning. And I pray, my prayer is that you will fill every person here, Holy Spirit, with your agape love. That it will be overflowing and spill all over the place. And that our world would be transformed for us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Yeah.